Hi, and welcome back to Through the Looking Glass, Spina Bifida in Anatomy and Physiology. This is your host, Katie, back with a new improved podcast experience, where on today's episode, we are going to shake things up a bit. By this, I mean we are going to take a break with the case studies in order to reach a wider audience. Now, with that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to today's topic. We will be discussing raising a child with spina bifida and what information and advice parents would like to know to give their SB child a flourishing and happy life. Before I start, I'd like to say that raising children is hard enough, but raising a child with a unique set of healthcare needs can be extremely overwhelming for a parent, as well as frustrating, especially due to the fact that most women who find out they're expecting don't really picture and certainly aren't prepared for having a child whose medical needs are greater than that of the average person. With that being said, with the right information, guidance, and support systems in place, any parent can handle it. Regardless, a child who is raised under the roof of parents who have access to the right resources can create a new normal for their family's unique situation. Sure, their new normal may look a little different from other families, but there's one universal quality all parents share, and that is the desire for optimal health and happiness, along with the willingness to provide the best life possible for their kids. Now, with this in mind, knowing a child with spina bifida's basic medical needs, what to expect, and prepare for is a crucial step in making things easier for both child and parent. First, to understand spina bifida in children, we must go over the center of the nervous system, the brain. The human brain is the center of command for the human nervous system. Simply put, the brain can be thought of as a computer, which distributes and receives information from the senses and the body. Hence, it receives these signals from the body's sensory organs and outputs information to the muscles. It's important to note that it allows stimuli to affect one part of the body from acting out and cross-purposing with the others. Next, the brain then processes this raw data in order to withdraw information about the person's environment. Then after, it fuses the processed sensory data with the information about the present demands of a person. With the memory of past situations, Finally, with these outcomes, it then triggers motor response patterns that are tailored to boost the well-being of a person. So each of these signal processing tasks require a complex interaction between a multitude of useful subsystems. With this information in mind, you will soon understand how it all ties together. So let's continue on and discuss the development of the fetus within the womb. The womb is where a fetus first begins to develop, and any slight interference can lead to a congenital defect, such as spina bifida. This is where a defect in the spinal cord causes the neural tube to fail to shut, and in turn creating a gap that forms an obstruction of the meninges through the spinal column known as the meningocele. If treated soon enough with surgery, a good prognosis for the patient will occur. Conversely, if not, the protrusion can form an obstruction. This obstruction produces an abnormal stream of cerebrospinal fluid in and out of the spinal cord. In turn, this fluid gathers in the brain, then then causing hydrocephalus. Unfortunately, 90% of babies who are born with the most severe form of spina bifida have hydrocephalus. If treated with a VP shunt, hydrocephalus will either lead to a positive outcome or would create a shunt complication, including shunt malformation, a clogged VP shunt, or even infection. If not treated accordingly, CSF will continue to accumulate in the brain, and in the long run, a child could potentially develop learning disabilities that can also further complicate. Adding on to our conversation, let's talk a little bit about the autonomic nervous system. This is the part of the nervous system that supplies the internal organs, including the kidneys, liver, stomach, intestines, genitals, lungs, heart, pupils, 
digestive, salivary, and sweat glands. In relation to this, most children with SB have damage in the nerves that leads to bowel and bladder problems. This damage will impact how the child is able to urinate as well as use their bowels. As a result, many parents will choose to catheterize their child and successfully do so on a daily basis. In relation to a child's diet and movement of their bowels, the severity of the nerve damage will determine the amount of intervention needed in these two categories. In general, SB patients will need enough fiber in their diets for stools to pass successfully. Luckily, for many kids with SB, they will have normal bowel movements while others may need suppositories to ensure they can successfully use the toilet. Next, I wanted to discuss with you guys a little bit about how the skin plays an important role in the somatic nervous system. It does this due to the fact that it contains a range of nerve endings that react to heat, cold, touch, pressure, vibration, as well as tissue injury. You see, when kids have a decline usage in one part of their body, like they do in many cases with spina bifida, it can lead to the breakdown of skin. Going into more detail with this, when constant pressure is placed upon a certain area, the skin will become very irritated and in turn create pressure ulcers that can develop in as little as a couple hours. It is imperative that parents get into the habit of performing daily skin examinations on their SB child to detect any irregularities that may need medical attention. These symptoms would include, but are not limited to, cuts, burns, blisters, scratches, red spots that don't fade after 10 to 15 minutes, and bruising. Another part of the inspection that a parent is responsible for is that if the child is mobile, to observe the movement of the body. This includes that he or she's feet are not dragging or creating friction in any area. Friction is a result of these reoccurring movements that in turn can assist in the quick development of skin breakdown. Consequently, wounds that arise from breakdown can easily become infected. If this is the case, medical attention must be seeked out immediately. Something that I myself find extremely fascinating is that many children with spina bifida will have an allergy to latex. The root cause of this allergy is still unknown, but it can be assumed by healthcare professionals that it is most likely due to the repetitive contact with products that have latex in them, for example, when they are doing catheterization. Some signs to look out for that can signal an allergic reaction is itching, coughing, watery eyes, redness, skin irritation, or runny nose, also wheezing, shortness of breath, and hoarse voice. In severe circumstances, latex can cause anaphylaxis. Warning signs of this are difficulty breathing, a drop in blood pressure, swelling of the lips and tongue, vomiting, loss of consciousness, abnormal or slurred speech, dizziness, and confusion. If any of these symptoms occur, it is deemed a medical emergency and 911 must be called immediately. One last topic I find important to discuss with you are the surgical options parents may find themselves being faced with. Children with myelomeningocele, the worst and most severe form of spina bifida typically requires surgery post-birth in order to close the spine and stop the injury to the exposed nerves. They do this by closing the normal tissues of the back. In some circumstances, surgery may be performed while the mother is still pregnant. This is known as open fetal surgery. This surgery is done before the 26th week of pregnancy. For the procedure, the mother and baby are placed under general anesthesia so they can both be operated on at the same time. In order to expose the uterus, a horizontal incision is made in the mother's lower abdomen. Using an ultrasound image, the surgical team then makes the incision in the uterus, exposing the unborn baby. With the baby's back in view, the surgeon removes the sac if present and then creates a watertight closure of the defect and surrounding tissue. This type of surgery isn't common, so unfortunately this may not be an option for everyone. 
Again, receiving any type of diagnosis for your child is extremely scary and overwhelming for any parent. But with the right information, which can pretty much be reached at your fingertips, much of these feelings can be relieved. Spina bifida is generally a manageable condition, especially if you're prepared and well-informed. Like I had mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode, what matters most is that as a parent, you are doing everything in your power to give your child the best life possible. This includes the right support systems, guidance, and your child's medical team. There are an unlimited amount of resources in order for your child to be happy and healthy throughout the entirety of their life. With that being said, that's our wrap for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed this new style podcast to shake things up a bit. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.